You're listening to the Filmmaker Happy Hour on XRFM, KXRY Portland, an interview show that talks with filmmakers and film festival directors about the state of cinema in Oregon. On this episode of the Filmmaker Happy Hour, our guest is Zach Putnam, filmmaker and manager of local production company ZP Productions. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Filmmaker Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined by Zach Putnam today. Uh, this time slot on X-Ray is usually we alternate between filmmakers and nonprofits, sort of our civics and our arts, uh, the nonprofit happy hour sometimes, and other other weeks it's the filmmaker happy hour. So today is kind of a, he's, he's a perfect hybrid in some ways. Zach Putnam manages ZP Productions, uh, who, who specializes in cinematic, character-driven films, oftentimes about nonprofits. Um, did I get that right, Zach? Yeah, that was pretty accurate. Thank you for the introduction, Phil, and thanks for having me here today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you 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 do a lot of um, great work, and we're going to talk about that and 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 pick it apart a little bit. Um, perhaps just to get the ball rolling, tell me about a current project that you have. Well, at any given time, we have several projects going on, but a few that I'm excited about right now. We're uh, we're currently working. Uh, with the ACLU of Oregon, which is just a client that I'm always excited to be affiliated with. And uh, we're doing, you know, the ACLU is always kind of moving on to the most recent, you know, civil liberties crisis. Um, But the piece that we're working on is sort of a retrospective of the last 30-ish years of what the ACLU Oregon has been up to, which had a lot to do with... um, gay rights, anti-gay ballot measures, and uh, eventually, you know, the fight for gay marriage on a national level. And then another project that I'm really excited about is um, there's actually a museum being built in Palm Springs by the local Native American tribe, the Agua Caliente Band of Cahuilla Indians. And uh, we have been tasked with creating all the short documentaries that'll go inside the museum galleries. So when visitors come and learn about the history and the culture of the tribe, uh, we created all the media pieces in that. You know, and and, and let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I find it that w- that one is, I mean, interesting on some levels, but on on a on a mechanical level, how did you get that gig? Because we are in we are not in Palm Springs. Um, you know that 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 is. Did they find you? Did you find them? Did you put a bid in? Um. Yeah. Well. I'll tell you a little bit. I actually went to undergrad at Pitzer College in Claremont, which is in Southern California. And then after graduating, lived in LA for about five years, which is where really where I sort of cut my teeth in filmmaking and worked in some television and commercial production there. And that's actually really where I sort of decided that I preferred the sort of smaller documentary to the larger productions, but that's a whole nother conversation. But Anyway, during that time in LA, one of my clients, and eventually I actually was on staff for a while, uh, was a museum. There's a museum in LA called the Autry Museum of the American West. I think that's its current title. Um, And uh, it's not the most popular museum in LA, but it's got a great location in Griffith Park right across from the zoo. And they 
do more and more cool stuff all the time. And one of the things I did with them was a lot of Native American uh, exhibits and galleries that uh, they brought in. And anyway, long story short, some of the same people I worked with at that museum are now working at this new Agua Caliente Cultural Museum in Palm Springs. And so they reached out and said, hey, Zach, we'd love you to help make these videos. And so not just me, but me and the other folks on my team, I've been working on that for over a year now, but we're almost through the post-production phase and we have, you know, every edit we do has to be reviewed by the tribal council, which is an elected group of five tribal members who at this point are making all the decisions for a lot of things in the tribe, but uh, specifically for the museum. So we have these tribal council screenings every few months where they watch all the cuts and give us any feedback. And so far they've all gone very smoothly, but our last one should be, I think it's, like this week, in just a few days, we're gonna have our last one. And then post-production should be more or less over, but then there's still months and months of the building is still being built. And then the videos will be installed in these newly built galleries. And then we look at them there and we make sure, you know, one thing that's really interesting about creating media for a museum, as opposed to most of the things we produce, which end up, you know, on the internet or maybe in a film festival, but you just have no control over how people are viewing your work most of the time. And I just sort of long ago, just resigned myself to who knows what the color and the audio are gonna look like on whatever device or setting these people are watching at and just sort of, <laughs> we do our best. But in this museum setting, we can know exactly like what screen, what audio speakers, what the room is like, what the context of their experience is when they're watching this short documentary or some of them are more like video art installations. Um, and so that's just kind of cool way to create media that's a little different than a lot of the stuff we do. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm gonna talk about uh, audience uh, with you in a little bit because I, I do find it interesting. I mean, and you just you just mentioned like you have to work with the tribal council. You know, I mean, so you have obviously you have a client uh, that, that you're wanting to make sure that they're happy, but you're also thinking uh, in addition to them or beyond them, you're thinking about that audience that you wanna reach. But before we get there, I am gonna backtrack and talk about your LA days. So you did, as you just mentioned, you studied filmmaking. Um, you know, but you started with commercial and, and there seemed to be a lot of sort of sports in there or some sports in, in what you were doing. Um, not necessarily the same ilk as the nonprofits that you're working with. Was there a morning that you woke up and you're just like, I need to do something different? Was it a slow change? What, what inspired the, the transition? Well, um, you know, when I first graduated from Pitzer in 2003, uh, it was an interesting time for filmmaking and video production because, you know, just to date myself a little here, but like, you know, like YouTube was just sort of like rolling out. Um, Final Cut Pro was just becoming like a mainstream thing. So like being able to create sort of broadcast quality um, or more film-like content on your home computer with a prosumer camera had suddenly become a reality. And, and the idea that one person could go out and like shoot and edit an entire broadcast quality piece was kind of a, a revolution, right? So that was kind of where I started. And so my first job out of school was working for an extreme sports show called Surge. And uh, they just gave me a camera 
think it was a Canon XL1. And I just drove around Southern California looking for skaters and surfers. You know, I'd go to the popular spots and wait for the good people to show up. And then, you know, once I saw that they were good, I introduced myself. Most of the time they had some kind of a sponsorship of some sort from even just a local brand. And so they'd be excited to be featured on the show. I would film them doing their thing. I'd do a little interview. I'd license music from a friend's band. I'd edit the whole thing into like a five minute segment, but they dropped into this show every week. And so that little sort of like five minute very small crew documentary style. I didn't think of it as journalism at the time, but looking back, I guess it was a, a form of sports journalism, but that general sort of production format is still pretty similar to the stuff I do today where, with nonprofits where uh, it's a very lean crew. Oftentimes there's you know two people on production and one person editing. But in between that, when I was in LA, I did work on, on bigger, like I said, commercial sets and some TV sets. And it was all really interesting, like just watching how a film is created and behind the scenes of the whole machine of a real big crew, like a union job is amazing and fascinating as someone who, you know, loves watching that stuff. But I also felt like, you know, whenever I worked on a set like that, just like a very small wheel in the giant machine and that I had no creative influence on anything. and that most of us there on the set had very little creative influence and most of us were doing manual labor, frankly. So um, I realized that the smaller crews, the smaller budget stuff was where I could like have so much more input and it was much more normal on those to be involved in both the production and the post-production. You know, the bigger the budget gets, the more separated those things start to become. And I like both. Uh, so that's kind of how I gravitated towards the smaller stuff and then as far as pivoting to the nonprofit, um, you know, it started like, so when I moved from LA to Oregon, I still had the museum gig and I was actually traveling down to LA like one week out of every month for the first couple of years. But during that time I was looking for local clients to build up a bit of a freelance clientele here and eventually, you know, leave most of the LA stuff behind was the plan. And, uh, and I worked for a lot of big local companies in Portland, um, Nike, Adidas, Intel, I produced stuff for all those folks and it's cool and exciting and people think it sounds glamorous, I think sometimes, but I personally didn't get a lot out of helping people sell shoes. No offense to all of the great, you know, sports marketing folks in Portland. But when I, on the other hand, when I was kind of looking for work around Portland, I would volunteer often to do something for a friend who was involved in a nonprofit. And I just quickly realized that like those projects, first of all, were much more fulfilling for me. I felt much more aligned with, you know, the stories and the messages. And frankly, they just have much more interesting stories to tell. So just as a storyteller, the people I was meeting through a lot of these nonprofit projects were just, you know, incredible people with amazing stories and I was excited and honored to tell these stories and and it's just a whole different vibe you know from a corporate uh clientele to a nonprofit clientele so through uh those sort of things that at some point and it was kind of when I went back to grad school I went to uh University of Oregon to get a master's in multimedia journalism and that was at the Portland campus here 
And that was about the time that I really decided, you know, this corporate stuff, I felt myself doing more and more corporate work and feeling like I was just going to get burned out and hate what I did. And I needed to pivot to something that I would be more excited about. And, and it was around that time that I really, you know, I'd always done nonprofit, but I'd kind of always done anything I could get my hands on because I was just trying to survive as a filmmaker. And it was after I really said, you know what, I think I, I want to specialize in this and nonprofit storytelling and kind of started to quote brand myself that way, um, that things really took off for us as a business. Uh, and, you know, they always say it's like better to specialize than to be a generalist. It's hard to follow that advice when you're just trying to make a living and take every gig that comes. But I will say that since I've focused on nonprofit storytelling, the business has only grown. More and more people come to us, I think, because they know that there are many production companies that can produce, you know, beautiful work. But there are a lot of like really specific ethical considerations that we think about every day with a lot of the nonprofit storytelling we do. Um, there's certain ways we approach the, the way we produce things that I think are different than a lot of production companies think about. So, yeah, and I, I want to talk just a little bit about that, that for lack of a better word, the business end of things. And then and then we're going to take a music break. But um, do you find it, and you talked a little bit about this, you were volunteering at first sometimes for the nonprofits, working for nonprofits, working with them to produce as opposed to Nike or Adidas or a commercial outlet. Do they ask you to volunteer sometimes and you have to say, you know, hey, I, I, I believe in what you're doing, but this, I have a business to run too. I mean, do, do you find that? And how do yeah. you deal with it if they do? Yeah, it's definitely part of the landscape. I mean, you know, everyone who works at a nonprofit is well-trained to say that they don't have any money and, um, and they usually do need more money. Um, and that's a big part of what we do. I mean, so the easiest answer is that the videos we produce are generally designed to be fundraising videos. So they should be an investment. There should be a return on that investment if we do our jobs right. So that should justify paying for it in my mind. But, um, but you're right. Like it's not uncommon for when we're bidding on a project to be competing with someone who's like, oh, well, you know, someone on our board's nephew got a new camera for Christmas and he says, he'll do it for free, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, like I said, you could do that. That camera probably shoots great images, but we bring a lot more to the table than just that. You know, we really do think about the best ways to tell these kinds of stories with often like, you know, vulnerable people telling very sensitive stories. There's, a whole um, trauma-informed approach that we bring to our interviews. Uh, so, you know, I've gotten better and better at like kind of making the case to these organizations that it is a worthy investment. Um, but at the same time, we are very flexible with all of our clients because I know that nonprofit budgets are tight. So basically the way it's borderline a pay what you want system, we pay what you can system perhaps, uh, we have, you know, standard rates that we will quote any client who comes along. And then with a nonprofit client, we typically donate at least 10% of our fees in kind. And if that still doesn't uh, make it work with their budget, we can almost always donate more of our fees in kind. So we donate tens of thousands of dollars of our fees uh, every year. So, you know, it's kind of like volunteering pro bono work. So we do do that uh, a lot. And, and I feel good about it, frankly. I, I feel great giving back. And 
Um, sometimes some organizations, I'm so excited to work with them, especially if it's like the first time that we might more or less just break even on a project and that's okay with me. Zach Putman is a uh, Portland-based filmmaker uh, with ZP Productions who specializes in cinematic character-driven films, oftentimes what nonprofits, and you brought in some music. How about we cue that up for us? That sounds great. You want me to intro it a bit? Yeah, yeah like what, what song do you have to share with us? So um, I've uh, brought in What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Uh, just uh, first of all, it's a good summertime track for us all to enjoy. But uh, it's also, you know, got some very meaningful lyrics uh, that have remained relevant for decades and sort of speak to me as uh, someone who tries to be a creator who's maybe trying to make a little bit of a difference in the world or pay attention to what's going on in the world anyway. Let's take a listen.
That was, of course, Marvin Gaye. This is Phil Bussey. It's a filmmaker happy hour. I'm talking with Zach Putnam, who is a Portland-based filmmaker. Now, before the break, we were talking about, uh, I was in general talking about the, the clients that you work with. Um, I just want to pick apart one of the films a little bit. Um, Canine Companions uh, was, was one of the films that I looked at, Coffee Creek Correctional, uh, and it's about the pets. What was the purpose of this film? And, and um, you know, because it's, it's interesting to me because it's also a film that, that clearly was uh, talking about an organization and, and, and a program, but you also then in, entered in, and, and won some awards at the McMinnville Short Film Festival. When making that film, if you can recall, were you thinking about a specific audience, a specific impact that you wanted to have with the film or what was going on? Yeah, so that's a, a pretty perfect example of a lot of the work that we do, where what happened there is uh, Canine Companions, who are based in Santa Rosa, California, reached out to us, and they had actually heard of us through uh, Dove Lewis Animal Hospital, which is a client we've worked with for years. And I think they saw something we did for Dove Lewis and just said, hey, who did that? And so um, Canine Companions reached out and said they had this story they wanted to tell. And the way it often works is they have these organizations have some sort of annual fundraising event. Um, I believe Canine Companions event is called Sit, Stay, Sparkle. And, uh, you know, they held these big events, you know, pre-COVID anyway, right, where they would uh, invite all their donors and it's kind of a big event. Uh, gala affair and then at some point in the evening they show this short film like hey we want to share something with you about some of the people we work with right and so that's it's often called a appeal story in the nonprofit fundraising world or a, a special appeal an emotional appeal is what it is and we can get all into that the mechanics of fundraising but basically we're trying to tug on some heartstrings to get people to donate money so that's you know quite frankly it was the purpose of the film, but with all of our clients, we're always trying to push it in as much of a pure storytelling direction as possible. Um, we really believe that that is more effective with donors. It's more authentic than when you try to hit people over the head with organizational language or too much information about the programs. You know, we just say like, let's let, you know, let these people tell their own stories and people will connect with that and see the importance of your organization's role in that. You don't really need to hit people over the head with it. So anyway, this story was a great one. Um, it was about uh, the program. They have a puppy training program at the women's prison at Coffee Creek where inmates and it's all inmates who apply and they have to be, you know, some of the on their best behavior, uh, highly vetted inmates get permission to have a puppy live with them in their cell for the, the first year or so of the puppy's life. And that's the way Canine Companions works is for the first year of the puppy's life, they, they live with a puppy raiser who's not usually a professional dog trainer, but they learn to train the dog on a lot of the basic skills. And a lot of it is just teaching the dog to like live side by side with a person all day, every day for a year. And after that first year, the dog goes to a professional trainer back at the Santa Rosa campus or one of the other campuses they have around the country. Um, so this was the first year of these puppies' lives. They're living uh, in the prison with these women and doing all kinds of daily training exercises with them. Um, and we 
went to the prison and which was a whole ordeal, just getting permission and having them search every inch of our bags just to go inside and filmed the program and the training happening there, which was, you know, really incredible. And then the other half of the film was an interview with a woman who had been through that experience talking about how, well, I guess there's a whole nother half, talking about how raising the puppy had affected her life. And then the third half, I guess, of the video is about um, the the young girl, she's like 13, I think, who um, received the puppy as her, her service animal at the end of the dog's journey. And, um, it's really pretty touching story. And we're lucky to have done several films for Canine Companions. So like every year we meet a new dog and sort of just like follow its life journey from puppy raiser to trainer to the, the person that it's finally paired with. I love those stories. Yeah, and then, and then but then it also, in addition to being used as uh, for the organization, uh, it ends up at a film festival. Right, thank you. Um, yeah, and that's, like I said, because we're always trying to push these in as much of a pure storytelling direction as we can, where it could stand on its own. If someone just came across this story, it would make sense. It wouldn't feel like they're watching a commercial. And this is one of those times when we were successful uh, with that. And so, yeah, McMinnville Short Film Festival is one of my favorite local film festivals. And they were kind enough to invite us to screen uh, that film there. And I think actually when we did it that year, uh, Canine Companions brought a bunch of local puppies who were being raised in the area to be in the lobby of the theater when people came in the festival to greet people. So it was a nice, nice. uh, Uh, That's fantastic. Zach, it's been really nice talking to you. uh, We have just a, a, a couple minutes left here. I want uh, to close this out. So you teach some filmmaking at University of Portland. Um, you know, and, and you talked at the beginning of our interview about that really that 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 pivotal moment in filmmaking that it that it really empowered uh, individuals to go out the technology empowered individuals to go out there. You know, we're, we're, we're 20 years down the road here. But what important lessons do you give to your students? I mean, is is there a a, a takeaway that you're like, if if I can give them 25 words or less, that they need to know about filmmaking. I will just say, first of all, yes, I do teach as an adjunct at the University of Portland. And I actually just finished up yesterday helping coach a workshop for the University of Oregon, which was a documentary filmmaking workshop. Um, It depends what we're talking about if I was to try to narrow down my 25 words of advice. But I think specifically with a lot of the documentary storytelling that we do, a thing that I'm always trying to do myself and the, and impart on my students is to really like honor your storyteller and sort of keep the person who's being generous enough to share their story with you first and foremost in your mind. Like when you're making a lot of those ethical decisions, I'm always asking myself, what would this storyteller think about this edit I'm making? Am I being true to their intention? Uh, and that's a big responsibility I think we have as filmmakers when we're helping to tell other people's stories. So. I'm always trying to keep that top of my mind and have my students think about it too. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's great advice. It's hard to uh, sometimes keep the, the individual or the person that the story is about uh, in mind when you're also thinking about an audience uh, and you're thinking about how that, that will impact. And those, you know, those, those do affect those decisions. Um, Zach Putnam is a Portland-based filmmaker, ZP Productions. 
check them check them out. It's it's uh, you have quite a lot. You have dozens of films posted on your site, and and it's really it's a fun fun watch, and it's fun to sort of tour uh, different organizations through your films. So. Thanks Thank for you. the work that you're doing. Can I give two quick plugs? And Absolutely. If they can fit. Um, one, we just had one of our short films uh, for an organization called Brown Girl Rise added to the Hollywood Theater at the PDX Airport. So if you happen to be going through Concourse C, stop by there. And that was a film that we uh, gave as a grant to that organization. We try to do at least one short film for free for uh, a nonprofit locally every year. And we just had a short doc called Salada's Home uh, accepted to the Portland Film Festival, which is coming up in a few months here. Thank you so much. This has been the Filmmaker Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. The Filmmaker Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and X-Ray FM KXRY Portland, supported by a grant from the Roundhouse Foundation. Our host is Phil Bussey, our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Thanks for tuning in.